Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word together this morning, we ask You humbly to meet us in this place, to teach us by Your Word, and that Your Holy Spirit would transform how we think, how we act, that we would become more like Jesus. In His name we pray, amen. I invite you to be seated. It was was a very wealthy man who owned a mansion and collected alligators. And in the back of his mansion, he had a large rectangular pool that he kept his alligators in. And one day, he decided to have a contest. He invited from all of the surrounding towns young men to come to his mansion, and if any of them could start at one side of this long rectangular pool and swim all the way across to the alligator-infested waters to the other side, he would give them one of three things, either a million dollars, they could become the head of one of his companies, or, and this was a very old joke, so it would never work today, the hand of his daughter in marriage. When he announced it to everyone, there was just silence until all of a sudden there was an oomph and a splash. And then a young man was going as fast as he could through the alligator-infested waters And as people watched him, it looked like he was going to make it. And they all began to cheer for him. And he made it all the way to the other side and got out of the pool, panting. And then very wealthy man was very surprised by this. And he said, wow, I didn't think anyone could do it. Well, what would you like? Would you like a million dollars? And he said, no. Would you like one of my companies? No. Well, then you must want the hand of my daughter. No. What do you want? I just want to know who pushed me. (laughs) You know why that works? It's why every good joke works. Because the punchline makes sense even though you didn't see it coming. The punchline is something that, within the context of all of it, you would go, oh, yeah. But you didn't see it before it happened. Although some of you heard this joke already because I saw you as I was telling it. Today, I want to share two things about God. Two things that we might know 
or maybe we don't quite know, but when we hear them, they should make sense with what we know about who God is, what his character is. Two things out of that passage in Jeremiah 31. I invite you to turn there. Jeremiah 31, page 1130 in the Pew Bibles. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, two things about God. The first is this, God is exceedingly patient. And I know that to some degree we all know that, who's not heard that God is patient, but I want us to understand what that means. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Um, Before explaining this, I want to make sure we understand what a covenant is. A covenant is very significant within Scripture. There are a number of covenants that are made. And a covenant is a contract, but it's more than that. Uh, It's not just a contract like two people write something out and I do this, you do this, if you break this, because it is very relational. The best example today that we have of a contract is this. Will you have this man to be your husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you, and listen, love him, comfort him, honor and keep him, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. And then the other side does the same. A marriage covenant where two people say to one another, we vow to live a certain way together, to relate to each other and to relate to the world in light of that covenant. That's the kind of thing that God has with his people. And he has it throughout the scriptures. There's multiple covenants throughout the scriptures. The old covenant is particular language that refers to the Mosaic covenant. You might think of the Ten Commandments. If you go back to Exodus 19 and you read all the way through Exodus 24, you will see not only the commandments, but then other things that are part of this covenant And then in Exodus 24, the people say, yes, we will do those things, almost like they're standing getting married. A covenant. So God says in this, back into Jeremiah, when I make, um, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Right now, as this is being written, the people of Israel have been destroyed and taken into captivity into Assyria. They've been gone for a very long time. And Judah, what's left, the southern kingdom, they have been attacked by Babylon already. Daniel and his friends, they've already been carried off, along with a bunch of other leaders. 
And it is likely just a few years from this point when Nebuchadnezzar will come in and finally decimate Jerusalem and take them all into captivity. They're right at that point. But God has not forgotten Israel. Both will be brought back together in this new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Remember the story of the sea and all of the plagues? And he led them to Mount Sinai, and that takes you to Exodus 19 where the covenant is made. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now, this sounds almost like an accusation. Because they broke my covenant, even though I was like a husband to them. But here's what I want you to see, and this is where the patience comes in. Number one, to keep that idea of covenant, notice the language. I was like a husband to them. Not a master or a dictator, but a husband. Because that is the relationship that God wants with his people. It is very, very much intimate. But why is he giving a new covenant? Because they broke the old one. Now, that is a very strange response. Okay, so think about what happens when, for example, you tell your children you need to, they need to do something, and they don't do it. What happens to your children? Usually, they get disciplined. Something happens to them. They are in trouble because they did the deed that broke what they were supposed to do. In this case, here is God saying, I'm going to make an entirely new covenant because they couldn't keep my old one. Here's the patience of God. Instead of giving up, instead of moving on, I'm going to create something new for them, even though they're the ones in the wrong. And here's what I want you to see about God's patience. This morning, I got up like I typically do, about 5.30 or so, and I went and I sat in my chair, and the fire is on because it was stinking cold this morning, and I'm drinking my cup of coffee and getting ready to put final touches on my sermon. And at 6 o'clock, I hear my four-year-old begin to sing to himself from his room. And he is going, five, six, five, six, Kelton is good, pat on the back, Kelton is good. And he's just up there singing. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to go get him. See, he can't get out of his room. Because of his autism, we have a plastic thing on the inside of his handle so that he can't just wander out in the middle of the night. But he knows that. So he's just laying in his bed. And he's just singing and talking. And I thought, all right, he's going to go back to bed at some point. Because on a school day, I have to wake him up at 740. <laughs> But here is on Sunday when I need a little bit of time to put a sermon together for all of you, um, which is why this sermon is not going to be very good because I didn't get that time because of my son. He's just up there singing to himself. It took 45 minutes before he finally said, Dada, open the door. Dada, open the door. 45 minutes. I don't have that kind of patience. <laughs> I'm not going to lay there and sing for 45 minutes and finally ask someone to let me out. But that is not the kind of patience I'm talking about. I do think that's what we often think about. Patience 
is how we respond to circumstances when we keep our cool. Patience is when we don't just lose our marbles and go crazy on someone. That's patience. And that's true. God's patience goes beyond that. His patience with his people is not only will I be long-suffering with you, not only will I not give up on you, not only will I continue to walk with you even when you mess up, but as you break the rules and can't keep what I'm trying to get you to do in our covenant, I'm going to make a new one that you can do better at for your sake. God's patience means doing the best for his people no matter how many times they screw up. And I'll tell you what, the reason they're going into captivity is because they have screwed up generation after generation after generation. They've had so many prophets come to them and say, you are going the wrong direction, and they kept going the wrong direction anyway. And yet here is God still saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm still going to bring all the people back. I'm still going to be your God. Imagine that kind of patience in our lives. Imagine that our patience was not just controlling our temper. Imagine our patience was not just venting when we really lose it. But it was also wanting to do the best for the very person that was causing our anger. That's God's patience. That's what he has with us. All of those times where we think I've just screwed up and God is going to be mad at me and I've got to make this all up. We have a God who is so patient that yes, he may discipline you. He disciplines them. But it is for their good. In fact, if you remember the reading from last week, it was in Jeremiah where he says to the people who will go into captivity, I still want you to have a life there. I want you to build homes and businesses and have families. I'm going to continue to bless you, even in captivity. But you will have discipline. And yet, I'm going to bring you back to the land and I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Imagine that kind of patience. So, that's what God has with his people Here's my just personal question for each one of us. What's your patience like? What's your patience like with those closest to you? What's your patience like with a stranger who gets in front of you when you're standing in line? What's your patience like with the person who drives way, way too slow? What's your patience like with the neighbor who's not being very neighborly? And then the next question would be, what might it look like if your patience was not just controlling your anger, but it was thinking about how can I make this situation better? How might I do something for that person? How might I help that person? Because to be frank, sometimes when we lose our patience, we deserve to lose our patience, right? Sometimes the other person is completely wrong, or at least pretty wrong. But does that give us the right to lose it if we are to be like our God? Or can we still, even when, because Israel was wrong here, 
Israel was completely wrong in this case. God was not wrong at all. And yet here is God saying, I still want to try to do what's best for you. And that leads me to my second part, the second thing about God. Number one, this is what I want you to know about God. We all know God is patient, but do we all understand that his patience means not only not giving out all his wrath on you, but also seeking what's best for you? Here's the second thing. God empowers his people to do the things that God wants them to do. Keep reading with me. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, after that time, declares the Lord. He's going to give two ways of empowering them. Number one, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Here's the first part. Where were the Ten Commandments written? Stone tablets. They were external. They were what you looked at and could see and could read. But they were external. They were very much like the sign that says, wet cement, don't step here. And what do you want to do more than anything at that moment? Leave your print indelibly for time. I mean, it's, it's what you want to do, right? Because it's an external thing. God says that is part of the reason that that first covenant didn't work. Not because there's anything wrong with the covenant. There was nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. But there was something wrong with the people trying to keep it. And so God says, here's what we're going to do. This time, I'm going to write these things inward. Now, everything he says in some ways is poetic and literal because he's not actually going to take a pen and write it inside of us in any way. But here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us the Holy Spirit who is going to lead us in the ways of God so that internally, if you are born again, if you are born into the kingdom of God, if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you and is guiding you, leading you. And no more will there be variations in people who, for example, I happen to be the scholar and I can read all of the scrolls and study and memorize them. And you over here, you're a peasant who has to work all the time and has very little time to actually learn all of the stuff that I know. So I have an advantage over you in following God. No, from the least to the greatest, all people who follow Jesus have the Holy Spirit. All of them can say, I know the Lord. All of them can say, I can follow God because of the Spirit in me, if I will let the Spirit lead me. The first empowerment is the Spirit of God in our lives that makes it an inward thing for us to follow, not just an external thing. Here's the second. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 
the second way in which God says they will be able to keep this covenant, they will not be burdened by the guilt of their sinfulness. It will not weigh on them all the time. It will not crush them. So I would imagine that every single person in this room has struggled with guilt. You might be struggling with guilt right now. We've all had moments where we feel, no, I'm just too sinful. I've done too many things wrong. I'm not good enough. That person deserves it, but I don't. We've all felt that. Can I ask you, has your guilt ever empowered you to live a godly life? Or has your guilt just pulled you down? Our guilt brings shame. Our guilt makes us feel bad about who we are. Our guilt makes us feel distant from God. How in the world are we supposed to live a thriving, faithful life when we're mired in our guilt? When we're constantly feeling like, I got to make this up. I just got to do better. Then God will love me. You can't live a thriving, faithful life in that. God says in this new covenant, I will forgive their sins completely. They'll be washed away. I will not remember them any longer. You know what is so sad about the new covenant? Please hear this. This is what is so sad about the new covenant. The only people in the new covenant that remember their sins are the people, not the God who is over them. We want to hold on to them. When God has said in Christ they are forgiven. So there are two ways that he empowers us in this new covenant. Number one is the Holy Spirit inwardly. And number two, we are completely forgiven. Here's how I think it works though. So I mentioned earlier my son, who this morning finally said, Dada, open the door. And my son, when we learned that he was autistic, it was really hard. So many thoughts went through my head. At my age, can I do this? What's this going to be like? What does it mean to have a child who has autism? At that point, my son had stopped speaking. Is he ever going to speak again? It was overwhelming to think about how this is going to work. And yet, God has empowered my entire family to be thriving with our son in ways that I could never have foreseen. Let me give you a couple examples. So this morning, when Aaron was sitting by the fire and the cat was across the room, she said, come here, Minnie. Come here, Minnie. Get on my lap. And I laughed a little bit. And here's why. About two weeks ago, Aaron and I were sitting on the couch and we called the cat Minnie. And then Aaron goes, you know, he doesn't even say that anymore. He calls the cat Mitty now. My cat's name is actually Mitty. But, the, but our son called him Minnie for so long that we all call him Minnie, and we think it's hilarious. We laugh about it, we make jokes at his expense, our male cat named Minnie, and then we talk for the cat sometimes, like we wonder what he is thinking, because he's been Mitty for 11 years, 
And all of a sudden, here comes this four-year-old, and now he's Minnie. He's changed his name. My son doesn't even do it anymore, but we laugh about it all the time. I'll tell you what that means in a moment. Let me give you another example. About a month ago, we were sitting around the table having dinner, and we began to sing, and we were singing in summer from Frozen, and we would stop at different points, and we would let Kelton chime in and sing the parts that we stopped at. And we're all doing it as a family. And he would sing multiple words at different points. He would say certain words in ways. And I mean, our family were just, we were cracking up. We were having the best time. We were enjoying what he was doing and laughing with him as he was having so much fun. Last night, we went to a neighborhood party. And one of the things that we do with him to get him to go places is we use this terminology. First this, then this. And it's like, he just clicks. And he goes, okay. And then, so last night it was, first we go to party, then we come home and do iPad. First we go to party. And so he starts walking around the house going, first go to party, go to party. We're like walking because it's around the neighborhood. So we're just walking to it. And as we're walking the whole way, go to party, go to party. And we get there and there's this giant, wonderful bounce house. And I mean, the kids, we didn't even see the kids because they stayed at the bounce house the entire party. Two hours we were there, and they're just like out the bounce house. Well, at one point, Erin comes walking back, and she said, you've got to see Kelton, because Kelton is over on this, and he's going down, and everything. well, kids are all bouncing. Well, apparently, he's in there with all the kids bouncing, and he's going, party, party, as he's bouncing up and down. I mean, this kid has brought so much joy to our lives, and it has brought our family closer together. We all love him like crazy. My nine-year-old does not like to get up in the morning. That dude likes to sleep. And this morning when I went to get him up, he sets like three or four alarms. So we can hear one, go back to sleep. Hear one, go back to sleep. Hear one, go back to sleep. So this morning he's getting up at 7.30 because he likes to come early to church with me. So I went at 7.30 to wake him up. And he's like, oh can I set the alarm one more time? And I'm like, okay. But his baby brother came in with me. And his baby brother goes, get on T-Bird's bed. And so he gets up onto the bed. And then T-Bird goes, T-Bird needs a hug. And, and the baby goes over and gives him a hug. And you just, I mean, T-Bird is like awake and happy. Why? Because his little brother was going to give him a hug. I guarantee you his 11-year-old brother doing that, it would not have worked. His sister doing that, it would not have worked. His mom or dad doing that, it would not have worked. But it does with Kelton. Here's the thing. In the moment, that child has brought enormous joy and intimacy to our family. But it, it doesn't stop there, and this is the point I wanted to make with you all. We think about these things quite often. We tell these stories to each other. We continue to call the cat Minnie because it keeps bringing us joy and it's fun. We continue to say things that he has said that he doesn't even say anymore. And it reminds us of how amazing he is and it encourages us. We can do this. Like we can raise this kid even when we weren't sure we could. But it took us reflecting upon living into all of the blessings God had bestowed in us because of this child. Here is my point. 
the Holy Spirit living in us and the forgiveness that we have, if we do not reflect on these things, if we do not live into them, if they are not a part of our regular lives, they will not empower us. They will just be a truth that is out there somewhere, but not a truth that is in here and letting us live into the new covenant. That is the power of reflecting and living into the truth that God says is real in the new covenant. So, two things about God that I want you to get this morning. Number one, He is patient. And He is patient in such a way that He not only doesn't pour out all of His wrath, but He also says to His people, I want your good. And I will do things even when you're in the wrong to try to help you for your good. Can we do that in our lives? Number two, God says, I'm empowering you to live a different way. But you've got to live into the empowerment. Dwell on and accept what I'm saying is true about you. And you will have a different kind of power for life. Those two things. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for who you are. Lord, help us, help us to grasp in ever-growing ways the kind of intimacy that you want with us, the relationship you want with us. Help us to lean into the patience that you have and to let it be encouragement to us and help us to be more patient in our own lives, to reflect it. And Lord, let the truth of this new covenant empower us to live differently. And Lord, help us to want to empower others. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.